Hi, and welcome to the Hand in Hand Show, where caregivers and survivors have honest discussions about stroke. We are a part of Stroke Focus Podcasts. This is Cam, your host. And today we're here with Michelle. We're going to discuss her life since her TBI. She was driving on a dual carriageway and she, she ended up in the hospital. She has a, become a big advocate for brain injury survivors and she runs a blog called The Jumbled Brain. So welcome, Michelle. Hi. Very excited to have you here. But I do want you to explain a little bit because I'm guessing a carriageway is kind of like a highway here. Dual carriageway is just a a highway with two lanes. Tell us what happened because I do know that there was a horrific accident. You were airlifted to the Royal Lund Hospital and it was in December of 2014, I believe. Yeah, so I I don't actually remember anything about it. This is uh, all stuff that I've learned after it happened. There was a a small truck that was behind me. Ahead of us, there was queuing traffic because it was coming up towards a roundabout. A buzzard, which is a, a small bird of prey here, flew down and hit the truck driver's windscreen, smashed his screen. He couldn't see that, that I was needing to slow, so uh, just piled into the back of me. We were both in the inside lane, and I veered into the outside lane, hit the central crash barrier. Yeah, that was it. No one else was involved. It was it was just us two, which was kind of amazing, really. Unfortunately, the bird died. Because there were so many traffic problems anyway, because where this happened is very close to the M25, which is basically the motorway that runs around the outside of London. So when the M25 is having problems, pretty much the whole area has problems. And unfortunately, that day... The M25 was was a mess. So because so much traffic everywhere, the only way that they could deal with it was to get the air ambulance involved to take me into London. Because although they never said it, they must have been concerned, but they never actually said I had a brain injury. The, their reaction and then reading the notes of my behaviour at the time um, makes it quite clear that that must they must have at least thought it but they never said it how was your recovery what did you do here it's very hit and miss here because there isn't that much services available so here we have the nhs which is the government funded health service therefore it's not as robust perhaps as the private sector um, so for me, I was only in hospital for 10 days. I believe that probably because it was the run-up to Christmas, they do work quite hard to try and get patients out if they can. They sent me home. The only out therapy I had was only because my partner, James, had fought so hard for it. I had an um, occupational therapist come do some exercises with me because at that stage I was um, only just about able to walk with a crutch and I was my left arm was very weak and so forth so they managed to get me to the point where 
I was safe. I could manage stairs. Um, you know, to begin with, James was having to help me have a shower because I couldn't even do that. Um, and that was really the only therapy that was ever assigned for me because they'd never said I had a brain injury, even though they knew almost straight away I had had a small bleed on my brain uh, next to my brain stem. So it wasn't that they didn't know, they just didn't talk about it. I believe that that is because over here they have a, a system whereby they don't particularly like getting involved too much with car accidents um, because the amount of paperwork then gets created through um, the evidence evidence gathering it is very difficult for the nhs who who are underfunded and under resourced anyway it's difficult for them to deal with it so if they can somehow avoid it that helps them but it didn't help me so i had very very limited support it wasn't until i think a year must have passed when i finally managed to get involved with a neuropsychologist who was really helpful um but pretty much that that first year i had next to nothing we've done some podcasts with some researchers in australia and they were telling us about the difficulty in getting patients and we were talking about stroke and and brain injury but basically it's it's still kind of the same problem they have certain criteria and even people who should get more therapies weren't because of of this criteria i i'm not entirely sure but from speaking to some other um survivors it seems to me that if you are in a coma then yes, they accept um, it's brain injury, it's serious, and they'll pull out all the stops for you. Um, but because I wasn't in a coma, um, and, uh, you know, yes, I was conscious, I was able to do things, um, and because they hadn't met me before, there was even one point where one of the nurses asked James, is she normally like this? Because I was being ridiculous. I can't even remember what I was doing, but um, I didn't make any sense. And I suppose from their point of view, they don't know you. So they could be looking at someone who had a learning disability anyway, perhaps, and that that their behaviour is not abnormal for them. So um, I suppose they, yeah, so they made me do a test, which was basically making cups of tea. And the reason they do that is, uh, particularly here in, in the UK, because we do it so often, we make so much tea, um, it's almost second nature for us. We, you don't really have to think about what you're doing. And therefore, it's considered a really good way of seeing how your brain is is working. I effectively failed this test in several different ways. So to begin with, I didn't even notice that the kettle wasn't working. I hadn't switched it on properly. I didn't notice that. It had to be pointed out to me. Um, 
And then once I did make the teas, I didn't make them to the way that they were asked for. Um, the lady, uh, she wanted um, a black cup of tea. And my answer to that was I put milk in it. And she asked me if I thought I'd done it right. And I answered, um, well, nobody has black tea. So you just get what you're given, which is ridiculous. But yet somehow they, she still signed to say, yes, today she can go home. And that day I went home. So I don't completely understand. To me, I'm not a medic, I don't know anything, but I would have definitely said this person is struggling to make this cup of tea, which is supposed to be a simple activity. So therefore, how can that person be sent home? Sounds like even though you really didn't pass, they still kind of passed you. Yeah, I mean, it was. it's supposed to be the real basics it's supposed to be is this person safe in their own home they're not saying anything else about can they go back to work can they do this it's literally saying are you safe enough to go home and really to me the answer should have been no this person isn't safe enough yeah it 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 sounds that way so moving on your blog You've dedicated a section to caregivers. Yeah. I, can you tell us more about your caregiver and even your blog? Yes. My partner, James, was, was and still is the biggest support that I have, um, despite the fact that he, you know, he works full time in a, in a very demanding job. He, he still always managed to find the time for me. Um, was always very and still is very understanding when perhaps I'm having moments where I appear to be unreasonable and doesn't lose his patience with me. From what I understand from a lot of other people is that actually that's a little bit unusual that he manages to be so patient with me. So for that, I'm very grateful. And my blog, I... um, You know, I've had a great response from it. Um, there's quite a few people who who said that they they struggle to communicate some of the things that they're thinking or feeling or experiencing, and for them it's useful because whilst I only write about what's happened to me, it, a lot of the things I talk about are things that actually are quite similar to circumstances for lots of others um so it it's just useful for them to have have it put in words in a way that that they can perhaps show others you know if they haven't been able to express themselves properly um and make people understand why they feel the way they do or or that things have changed the way that they have um because it's not an injury that people can see um most people don't understand it um i started it because i i have to admit that before it happened to me i didn't understand it um and i didn't feel like there was enough support or understanding about Okay, once this has happened to you, 
what happens next? Um, no one was able to give me any ideas on what I should expect from myself. So I tried to return to work and, and that went horribly wrong. Um, but I feel that that was because no one said, actually, this takes years, not, not a few weeks. Um, so, and also then the people then that I worked with and friends and so forth, they didn't quite know how to deal with it either. Um, they found themselves trying to say what they thought was the right thing by being supportive and positive. But in fact, what I needed someone to say was, actually, yeah, you, you know, you are acting a bit odd. Do you think you should be here? Um, because all that it did was pile the pressure on me. Because because I thought the world thought I was normal, um, that therefore I just needed to get on with it. Um, and it wasn't that they were doing that in a mean way. It was because they didn't know what else to do. So I started the blog to try and... A, help other people who are in my situation, but also to help those around them have a better understanding of, of what has happened, what does this mean, and how your behaviour, your reaction can have a difference, positive or negative, on how that person's coping. Yeah, it's, it's really hard. Um on many levels, especially when you go back to work, um, because some people want to be supportive, like you said. Um, I know that some people aren't so supportive also, because I've been in that situation. They don't understand by any means, and I didn't either if I had run into somebody like me. And I think until you go through it, I mean, there's even family and friends and, and people you know, who knew you before, who knew you after, who knew me before, who knew me after. And they don't know how to or understand any of it. Again, until you live it, you don't know. What do you think has been your biggest challenge in your recovery? I think probably it was accepting that I was different. Please don't think I'm being big-headed, but I was always quite academic. And suddenly, um, I could barely read. I could barely write. Um, and even when I was talking, I was struggling to find the words. Um, I was struggling to follow conversations. And suddenly, your whole world has completely changed. Now, obviously, as you can tell... All that has improved for me. Um, I'm still not quite as quick-witted as I was, um, but at least I can read and write now. Um, so, yeah, that was really hard. And it's, it, it's the fact that then you don't know how long it's going to take if you're going to improve or whether you won't improve. I mean, I was fortunate enough to have improved, but... For some people, that, that doesn't happen as easily. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, that was the hardest part, was the whole question of 
what am I left with? What is the point of me now? Because I've lost who I was. You know, you have to go through the steps of, of grieving. I wanted the old me back. I mean, that was it. I, I wanted the old me back. I didn't like this new me. Uh, it, 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 I couldn't do the things that I used to do. I still can't do a lot of the things that I used to do. What in all of this do you think has been your most memorable moment? Um, so when I did try to attend to work, um, and, I'd, and I'd warned them that at that stage I was saying, I think I have concussion, um, but don't worry, it will come back. I so I went in for a half day because um, we were trying to do a phased return to work, and I can't remember what it was, but there was an email I needed to write about something, and first of all I couldn't access any of the um, the company's databases because I couldn't remember how to do it. So I had to keep asking someone several times to keep showing me because I couldn't remember anything. Um, it all looked familiar, but I just couldn't remember how you actually do it. Um, and then I spent what must have been about four hours writing three sentences. Um, and that's when I thought, oh my God, how, how did it take that long to do that and it was because literally everything the whole process of anything was just so long and difficult and that's when I think I first started to realize what you know what I'd been left with um because until then I I suppose until you until you try challenges, you don't know how they're going to affect you. So uh, then, since then, I've realised that you can't ever say, "Well, I can't do something," because I might not have been able to do it one day, but I might be able to do it the next time. Um, like how I wrote about, um, I couldn't use a tin opener. Um, I didn't know why the thing looked familiar. I understood where you need to put it on the tin to open the tin. Um, now, admittedly, there aren't many times you need one now because most things come with the ring pulls on them. Um, but there was this one time, there was this one thing and I couldn't open it and I had to get James to help me. And even though I was watching him, I couldn't work out what was the difference between what I was doing and he was doing. So this went on and on and on. And then one day, finally, and I was on my own, and I decided to tackle the tin opener. And, and I did it. And I found myself celebrating because I've managed to open a tin with a tin opener. I mean, it's kind of pathetic, but that's kind of where life is, you know? It's not pathetic, really, Michelle. It's not. Um, I worked for like two years to be able to put a fitted sheet on a bed. You know, it would take me hours. I mean, you know, I'd have to go from one side to the other. When I got to the final side, you know, it was, you know, trying to pull it down, trying to 
pick the mattress up. I, I, I wasn't able to do it. And all of a sudden one day I realized this only took me a half an hour instead of the hour or whatever it is. And, you know, I, people would look at me when I said, put my fitted sheet on the bed. And they'd be like, really? Um, yeah. Okay. But, you know, it was a huge accomplishment. And I also early on talked to someone and they said, take the word can't out of your vocabulary. And this guy had been a one-handed dentist. Oh, wow. A dentist. So he said, you take that word out of your vocabulary. He said, because you can. Now, I will say I can't do it right now, but I am working towards it. But he said, you, you can't use that word because it just puts a negative on it and, and you won't work as hard. Or I, He had a whole list of, of things. But, you know, I figured if, if he can be a one-handed dentist, I can certainly learn how to ride, okay, a tricycle again. But, you know, I, w there are still things we can do. We can't say I can't. I can't dance right now, but I tell you what, I'm working on it. So, yeah. So don't ever think it's pathetic. I think it is a good thing because we see those little things that that come up that we can suddenly do that we couldn't or yeah. that it's a I harder time. A big motivator as well, actually. I think if you always go for the big goals, then it much more difficult but if you break it down to some of the little things um then mm -hmm. okay today i've achieved something i i've been on that end too where i decided i was going to go to this huge gym and start working out and i they explained things to me and i went home and i thought oh my gosh if i do everything that they just told me to do with regular normal people it's really going to bring me down. Maybe I need to try something a little bit different and slower and, you know, more my pace, you know, because if you look at this huge outlook, it's, it's not going to work. You write the blog and people can get to it by www.jumbledbrain, altogether, right, .com. That's it. And now, is, is this the same thing on Twitter? Is it Jumbled Brain? Uh, if people want to follow me on Twitter, it's Michelle underscore Munt. Particularly if people are interested in um, brain injuries, the brain, mental health, I tweet a lot about those. I find articles by other people, blogs by other people, um, latest research and I tweet those throughout the day as well as then sharing some of my previous articles so um, if people do want to follow me please don't think that all I'm going to do is keep shoving my blog at you you will have a bit of that but there will be other things as well that just you know if you find that kind of thing interesting that's pretty much all that I tweet about I don't tell you about my life inside and out and bore people with that um, but it is just about those kind of subjects thanks for listening to today's episode of the hand in hand show we hope you enjoyed it if you would like to keep the discussion going 
please join Stroke Focus, the social media website dedicated to stroke survivors and caregivers. The website address is https colon backslash backslash www.strokefocus.net. Stroke Focus is S-T-R-O-K-E-F-O-C-U-S. Stroke Focus is a part of Wohala, which in Mandarin means I have survived. If you wish to be a part of the show or would like to be interviewed as part of the show, please contact us at contact at strokefocus.net.